Brethren, we are on the a new priesthood in the new covenant. It's the priesthood of Melchizedek. You know that a very interesting thing is that uh, Melchizedek, I won't go into all those scriptures because I know you know them, where he met Abraham when he came back from the victory God gave to him over his enemies, and he brought back Lot. Then Melchizedek came out, and he brought, and Melchizedek was king and priest of the Most High God. The interesting thing is that he was, he had two functions in one being that in the old covenant were separated. He appears as king of Salem and priest of the most high God. He appears with two functions united in him. The interesting thing is that he brought bread and wine to Abraham. Abraham paid the tithes, and like Paul says, Levi was stealing his loins. You know, the Levitical priesthood of Aaron was stealing the loins of Abraham, and they paid tithes to Melchizedek. The interesting thing is that you could say that the new covenant, represented by bread and wine, the, the body of Jesus Christ and his, his blood of redemption, and his body that we eat at Passover to become one with him and be healed, is very interesting that there are two functions there, and also that the bread and wine are the, the fundamental symbols of the new covenant. So in a way, you could, we could say that the new covenant is older than the old covenant. You realize that? Because the old covenant came later on with the Levitical priesthood. But before that, there was a priesthood, was a spiritual priesthood. And by the way, like Paul says in the book of Hebrews, the priesthood of Aaron was not uh, the installed, or the, let's say, was not uh, established by God with an oath. It was and is a Levitical priesthood that is physical. But the priesthood of Melchizedek is established by an oath. God said that the eternal, you know, sweared and he would not repent. You are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then we find in the scriptures, you know, when you look in uh, Revelation chapter 1. So we have to found our conclusions very clearly. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, speaking of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1, 6, he says, And he has made us kings and priests. There you go. He's given us both functions like he has them. He's our firstborn brother. So we belong to the same priesthood that was given to him with an oath. will be eternal from now on. Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And we are going to understand, and I'm pretty sure you know this, that the physical functions of the priesthood of Aaron were physical. And Paul says in Hebrews, quoting the book of Exodus, when Paul, uh, God told uh, 
Moses, do everything as you have seen, as you have been shown on the mountain. I mean, God had an original up in heaven, in the spiritual world. And he gave you the sign of the tabernacle and all the instruments of the tabernacle, the implements of the tabernacle. And he said, do them according to the model I show you. And then, based on that, of course, the, the Apostle Paul says here in chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, he says the following thing. Chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, it says, verse 4, Hebrews 8, 4, For if he were on earth, Jesus Christ, he would not be a priest. Interesting since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See, that's God, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So if we belong to a spiritual priesthood, we're going to see that when Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, we're going to see that that physical priesthood is like a school for us to understand the spiritual functions we have to fulfill. So now we have here to make it easier. This is probably the first time I'm going to use PowerPoint, but it will be only one image. Or, or two images only. I'm not an expert in this. So here we have the physical tabernacle who was made according to the model or the pattern that was given to Moses by God on the mountain. So we're going to study and see the parallels between the physical functions and Aaron, and we will examine ourselves at the same time, asking ourselves, and I'm the first one, are we fulfilling this? Are we really preparing for Passover in every aspect that God expects us to be prepared. And then we're going to see that it's pretty amazing, all the parallels that God... For example, we start by this altar. You know, that was the altar of sacrifices. And uh, by the way, to make it more clear, remember that the Apostle Peter calls us a royal priesthood. God inspired him to call the brethren. Second Peter, no, First Peter. I'm going to read that for you, brethren. So this is an interesting story. Like I said, many of you, I'm sure, have done this. But let's review it now and see the implications it has for us. In First Peter, uh, chapter, chapter 2 and verse 9. First Peter, chapter 2 and verse 9. We read, First Peter, sorry, brethren, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we read, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Isn't that clear, brethren? The Word of God is amazing, and we've been taught always to base our conclusions in the clearly, clearly stated truths that God puts there for us. A holy nation. And, and see, let's look what it says in chapter 2 and verse 4 of that same epistle. First, first Peter, 
chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built as a spiritual, spiritual, not physical, we're going to see, this is physical, but there was a model that was spiritual. This is the copy. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when Christ said, I didn't come to abolish the law, he meant he didn't come to abolish completely. Let's say we are going to go into the kingdom of God without going through the physical law. We are, but we have a spiritual law. We're going to see here he says, we are being a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So, also, let's remember, I won't give all the scriptures. I have too many scriptures to give, but you will, you will write them down so it helps you in your study. When everything was ready for the, let's say, the inauguration of the tabernacle in the desert that was built one year after they left Egypt, for that next Passover, the tabernacle was ready. And the priestly garments were ready. And everything was ready, and the victims were ready, and God was about to inaugurate that tabernacle that he gave so many details to Moses. And uh, what happened is that once everything was finished, let's read it. Why not? I hope I will have time to finish this sermon, dear brethren. Okay. I'm checking myself up here. So let's read what happened. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 9, let's see what happened there. Leviticus, chapter 9, and it says here, in verse 8, Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 8. So we'll see the parallels here are fascinating. Chapter 9, verse 22 of the book of Leviticus. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, which we're going to see we still have to offer sin offerings, when we repent. We offer sin offerings. What did David say in chapter 51 of the book of Psalms? You know, if you, I, I'm not going to offer you a holocaust because he was in sin. And he was confessing his sins. It's a different offering that has to be offered first. So you are justified before God and we can have access to his presence with a burnt offering which was a sweet smell. When we confess our sins, it doesn't smell good. And that's why that offering was burnt outside the camp. But the burnt offering was burnt right there inside the court that was of sweet smell to God. And David said there, and that's a sin offering we offer before Passover. He says, You remember that beautiful scripture in Psalm 51. I'm going to read that. I will reference to it later on. But to see here, we start seeing that we have 
spiritual sacrifices to offer. And Moses, the, David was not of the tribe of Levi, of the descendant of Aaron. So he did it spiritually because he had God's spirit. In the same psalm, he says, don't take away your spirit from me. So he belonged already to a spiritual priesthood. We'll prove it further on in a moment with other scriptures. And he says here, open my lips and I will publish my mouth with publish your praise. For you don't want a sacrifice that I would give it. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God. Yeah, it's David speaking. Who had the Holy Spirit. He belonged to the priesthood of Melchizedek like we do. So the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. We heard about repentance. A, a contrite heart. and humble heart. You will not despise. We don't offer Bullock now as a sin offering now, but we have to offer spiritual sacrifices. And here it is, very clearly how it is. And then I continue here what happened when everything was ready and Aaron had to offer a, a victim for himself, like Paul explains in the book of Hebrews, and for his family. And it says here, in, coming back to Leviticus chapter 9, and Moses and Aaron Verse 23, went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. It was a very solemn moment, my friends. It was the inauguration of all these rituals of the old covenant who were just a, a shadow of what would come later on and that we are part of it in a spiritual sense. Verse 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. That was a pretty amazing thing. God himself started that fire on that altar there. It came from God. And then later on with that when the temple, because this is the tabernacle, when the temple was built by Solomon, you remember in Second Chronicles chapter 7, let's, let's look at the moment, Second Chronicles chapter 7, when, when uh, Solomon finished his prayer, that inspiring, beautiful prayer, that we wish when we read it, that he would have heeded his own words, inspired by God, and stay in the fear of God all his life, which well, he did not. But read this, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of Lord filled the temple. And remember that right after that, when the sons of Aaron had been consecrated with the beautiful garments, Nadab and Abihu, the younger sons, went out and took fire from somewhere else. Profane fire. They probably were drinking and celebrating that they were priests and they were beautifully dressed. And they lost discernment. And they brought a strange fire. 
that God had not, and it's immediately after that fire kindled all those offerings in the book of Leviticus that is mentioned that they went out and took fire from somewhere else and went and burned incense before God and they were killed at the same moment they were executed by God. Came, fire came out from God. What does that mean? That holy fire had to be respected and it could not be quenched. We're going to read in chapter 6 of the book of Leviticus how God says the fire on the altar will not be quenched. And that's part of our duties now. But I want to, to present you something very interesting too, brethren, that you probably have already thought about it. When those living stones that we read of their royal priesthood that are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, when they were all together on the day of Pentecost, 120, how did the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit came? Because they were no more a physical temple. The temple would be those living stones, a house for God. And each one of them would become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And how did the Spirit manifest itself? In a very powerful way. Everything trembled and a great wind blew. And there were like tongues of fire on the heads on each one of them. They were the holy stones of the spiritual temple for the, for, the, for the priesthood of Melchizedek. And they became each one a temple of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, that fire cannot be quenched. It's still burning right here today. The same fire that came upon them like it came upon the Old Covenant tabernacle in the temple. Now, why is this church gathered here today? Because Christ said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that fire got kindled there, still burning. Generation after generation, it has been transferred to us right here in every congregation that can be called the Church of God. That fire is still burning. And we are priests of that temple. Here we have then that altar of the sacrifices there. We know that there were three main offerings. The sacrifice for sin that had to be, you know, the blood was poured here and the fat, but the, the rest of the body and the and the skin were burned outside. And then, that's a sacrifice for sin. Then the peace offering that was, that is, was a peace offering. Let's, let's speak first about the burnt offering. The burnt offering was completely burned. The whole thing, except the skin. I won't go into every detail. If you read the first chapter of Leviticus, it looks kind of complicated. But we can have an overview here. But, the, the peace offering, you know, the fat and the blood were burnt upon the altar, on the fire there that God had kindled. And uh, it was, I mean, it was burnt right there. But the flesh would be eaten. One part belonged to the priest, and the other part belonged 
to the one who offered a peace offering and he shared it with his family. That's how they had meat to eat at the feast. People brought, you know, animals to offer, peace offerings to God, and they would have something to share. You wonder, do we have to do that today? I invite you to go to Hebrews chapter 13, keeping in mind that we are called a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And we're going to see in Hebrews 13 the three main offerings in the words of the Apostle Paul. He, so someone would say, yeah, but Christ came and he abolished everything. Christ said, I didn't come to abolish. He came to fulfill, to reveal the spiritual dimension that was not revealed in the Old Covenant. Now under the sacrifice, under the priesthood of Melchizedek, let's read in Hebrews chapter 13, and you see those three main offerings mentioned by the Apostle Paul, which those that belong to that priesthood should be offering now continually. And we're going to see that in chapter 13, in verse 11. He's going to mention here the sacrifice for sin. At the end of the book of Hebrews, when he's been talking about the priesthood of Melchizedek over and over, because he knew the temple was going to be destroyed and people were still too attached to the physical aspect of it. And he knew people were desperate without the temple, the physical temple. And he spent that book of Hebrews, he wrote it probably one or two years before he died to the Jews where the temple was. He knew the temple was going to be destroyed and the priesthood of Aaron would cease its functions. And he needed to connect them to the spiritual priesthood of Melchizedek, like we have to be connected now, to know that it was not, the priesthood is not abolished, the sacrifices are not abolished, they have to continue. And look at this, chapter 13, verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts who, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He was sacrificed as a sacrifice for sin. He came to fulfill it. He didn't abolish it. And we still have to offer it whenever we sin. We have to present and confess our sins to God to be, to be forgiven and have a contrite spirit like David said, and that's a sacrifice for sin. It's not abolished. It has another dimension, much bigger. And then it says, verse 13, Therefore let, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Look at the following verse. Verse 15, therefore, by him, let, let us continually, that was a continual sacrifice we're going to see now, morning and evening. With that fire God had kindled who could not be quenched. That fire is still burning here. And we have those duties. We're going to see more clearly as we go further. Therefore, by him, let us continually, 
He's speaking of the continual sacrifice, morning and evening, which we're going to study in just a moment. He says, offer the sacrifice of praise to God. It was a burnt offering, a lamb, completely burnt. Now we understand. It was completely burnt. We are not asking anything for ourselves. We are all in that type of sacrifice. It's like a prayer, which we were singing today, of praise to God. All burnt, all sweet smell going to him. We don't eat anything. We don't ask anything for ourselves. And he says here, therefore, by him let us continually, it's pretty amazing. We're going to see that that continual offering, morning and evening, we are ordered to continue it today spiritually. And it's a good way to examine ourselves. Are we staying close to God? Are we keeping that fire burning? Because we live in a time of so many distractions that for, multi, for the wickedness have multiplied. We are letting that fire kind of go dim. And it's very dangerous. I think if we, lost, we, we let that fire to be quenched in our lives, God, God is not going to start it again. It's kind of the symbol of spirit like it was in Pentecost. And it says, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That means burnt offering to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. We just did it by singing the hymns and by the prayer, the opening prayer. And now, that means that's the burnt offering. And he says, let us continually do it. Paul is saying us still our duty to do it is not abolished. Christ meant what he said. I did not come to abolish the law. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The peace offering was the fat and the blood was burned upon the altar. But there was a part for the priest and there was a part for the family. Sharing. We intercede, we pray for others, we share. And he says, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So you see the three offerings mentioned right there in those three verses by the Apostle Paul. Now, let's read then our functions according to the instructions that we have here on Exodus 29 on the altar of the sacrifices. What do we have to do now spiritually, dear brethren? Um, I don't know what time I have, but I'm going to play like I didn't know. So, Well, my boss is sitting there counting the minutes, so I have to be careful. Now, let's look at Exodus 29, brethren. And this is a good way to examine ourselves, a good way for examining ourselves if we are we fulfilling this. Paul already mentioned continuously, let's continue to do it. Let's keep that fire burning. And so it says here in chapter 29, verse 38. Chapter 29, verse 38. The daily offerings. Okay? It has to be offered right there. And it's the copy of the one up in heaven. 
where our prayers go to the presence of God. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lamps of the first year. Now, Paul, I mean, we read First Peter, we are a royal priesthood, and we are a holy nation to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We pray, we end our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. So, who is the lamb here who was offered? We know that. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. And Paul has told us, let's continually offer the sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic that it's sometime forgot, so I forgot to pray one day something really bad is going to happen. But this is a tremendous reminder that we should not neglect the priestly duties, spiritual priestly duties. Not at all. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Remember? Hebrews 13, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. And we're going to see this is a sacrifice of praise. One lamb, which is Jesus Christ, I don't have to quote to you, you know, the words of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour. Christ said, I'm the bread who came down from heaven. So he's represented by this flour, which is the best quality, mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. We know very well that the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When you combine those two measures, that means that that flour was completely saturated with that oil. The two measures were calculated for that. Christ was completely filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have the lamb represents Jesus Christ, and of course the, the flower represents him as the bread that came down from heaven that we should eat, and that we're going to eat in Passover in a worthy manner, if we are really prepared. And it says, it measures uh, this, uh, with one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. That's Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, and one-fourth of a hin of wine, his blood, by which we can present ourselves, and he opened our way to go directly to the Father beyond the veil, thanks to his blood. So here we have uh, the wine, and of course everything represents Jesus Christ, and we are told to offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ as a royal priesthood. There we start putting the picture together. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it in the grain offering and the drink offering, as it in the morning, for a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It's a burnt offering presented to our God, and we should be diligent. The Apostle Paul says, pray without Seize continually. That means keeping that fire burning, morning and evening. Now, every day that had to be offered in the morning and in the evening. We made a Bible study once, if you remember it, in the book of Psalms. There is a schedule there. You will be amazed when you go into detail. It's not in every Psalm, but as you go 
through 150 psalms, throughout that whole book, which is the longest in the Bible, there are prayers for the morning and prayers for the evening. And David, who cannot, he, he could not offer physically that offering. He was from the tribe of Judah. But David understood it. And let's look at it in Psalm 141. It's so inspiring. Psalm 141, David knew at what time the sacrifice was being offered by the priests and nobody who was not from the tribe of, from the family of Aaron could offer those sacrifices. Well, I invite you to look at Psalm 141. Look at this. This is a psalm by David. Lord, I cry out to you. May haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Listen to this. It's so beautiful. Verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Remember Uzziah lost the kingdom, became a leper for offering incense, physical incense. But David here is speaking of his prayer being presented to God as incense. And we know in the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and chapter 8, it says the angel, you know, burned the incense before God, which were the prayers of the saints. We have exactly David do the same thing here before it was revealed in the book of Revelation. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David was offering spiritual sacrifices. And we ought to follow his example. He was a man according to God's heart. He prayed in the morning. He prayed at noon. He prayed in the evening. In chapter 6 of Leviticus, it says, chapter 6, We're going to see how that morning and evening sacrifice had to be presented to God. The law is explained here. Chapter 6, verse 8 of the book of Leviticus. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night. All night. Remember, the first psalm says, the righteous meditate in the law of God day and night. David says in Psalm 16, even at night my conscience instructs me because he would go to bed after he had prayed to his God and that state of spirit would continue throughout the night. It's a teaching for us, brethren, in a time where so much addiction to the Internet and YouTube and television. And, and, and I've seen, brethren, that fill their minds with, with a movie of this world where usually people entertain themselves seeing the transgression of God's law. What is most common in movies now is sorcery. Sorcery, I think I'm pronouncing it understandably for you, violence, bloodshedding, pornography, and people entertain themselves with that, with violence, and, 
You watch those things go to bed that way, brethren? That's an affront. That doesn't keep that fire burning. That weakens our communication with God. David would get up in the middle of the night to pray, to maintain that continual fire and communication. And he says here, Command Aaron, 6, 9, and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his, on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on every morning and lay the burnt offering in, in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings, a perpetual Fire shall burn on the altar. It shall never go out. What's our duty today? If we examine ourselves in the light of our priestly duties, spiritual, are we keeping that fire burning day and night? Are we diligent in doing it? It's interesting, you know, the, the foolish virgins, they, and, the, and the wise, they, they all fell asleep. But the wise had plenty of oil, and it was still fire. That lamp, which we will study, we have time. Wow. But this is probably enough for the altar brethren. That fire still burning in the church of God is a spiritual fire that God sent when he inaugurated the church of the new covenant. And the priesthood of Melchizedek entered into full function, which is a duty of each one of us. As a temple, Paul says clearly in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So we have priestly duties to fulfill individually and also as a house of living stones, like we are right here. Now, so that was on the altar. Then between the altar and the tabernacle there, there was this fountain. Let's look at the instructions for that fountain and we see that give us room for examining ourselves as preparation for Passover. Let's go to the book of Exodus and look at the instructions concerning that fountain. Extremely important, my dear brethren. It says here, I'm trying to look for, where is that? Oh, yes. Chapter 30 of Exodus, verse 17. That's why it's important to study the law of God, because there are many things. Like David says, I open my eyes, 
and I will see wonderful things out of your law. So, chapter 30 of the book of Exodus and verse 17. Chapter 30, verse 17, it says here, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar, probably the altar of incense, watch inside there, we're going to see it in the next image, come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire. Oh, even when they came to the altar, which is this one, and before they entered the tabernacle to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. You remember, brethren, that the Apostle Paul told the brethren in Corinth, which were taking lightly the Passover, he says, many of you are already asleep. They died prematurely for taking in an unworthy matter, manner the Passover. Let's see how it, it relates to this fountain. We have to wash our feet and our hands. Let's read Psalm, Psalm 24 for a moment. Psalm 24, you see how all this is related in a marvelous ways. It says, chapter 24, the book of Psalms, chapter 24, where is it? Okay. Excuse me, brother, I don't have much light here. That's my excuse. Here in verse 3, 24, verse 3. Let's relate that to the washing of our hands and feet before we enter into the presence of God. Remember, that was a holy place and a most holy place. Now, when we enter in the presence of God, there is not a division. The veil was cut asunder when Christ died. He gave us direct access to the presence of the Father. And it says here in chapter 24, verse 3, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands. Okay. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And God has these severe statements that we always have to heed. In verse 12, it says, Isaiah 
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 12. So we have to examine ourselves. When you come to appear before me, she said at the feasts, on the Sabbath, or even in prayer, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts. You know that God says, unless they die. So I was told by a Jew that, you know, after, before Christ, when this, the high priest was, the, the priest who were restored by the Maccabees and until the time of Christ, they would attach a cord to the f ankle of the high priest when he entered the holy place once a year. Remember, he had permission to enter once a year into the Holy of Holies. And they said that many died in the presence of God. And they had to pull them by the court, you know, because they had, didn't have a clean heart. And this is this a warning for us. Paul said that some people had died prematurely because they were not taking the Passover in a worthy manner. And look what it says here. And it says in verse 13, Bring no more future sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, that we spiritually have to wash our hands and our feet before we enter God, uh, in the presence of God, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Can we have our hands full of blood when we go and keep the Passover? Okay, let's read chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. And see, we have to examine ourselves, brethren. Chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. We have to be, have clean hands to take the Passover. And it says here, uh, in chapter 5, verse 21 of the book of Matthew, we read, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, you know, he is giving us, it's not very important to know the meaning of these words, he is increasing the the intensity of the curse, the intensity of the insult produced by hatred. First, being angry without a cause, you're already in danger of judgment before the throne of God. And then he says, when you call it Raka, when you get mad with someone and insult that person, he says here, shall be in danger of the council. I mean, it will be a higher sentence. And then, but whoever says, you fool which is even worse than the others, shall be in danger of hell fire. Book of Revelation says murderers will be in the lake of fire. And then he continues, Christ says, Therefore, look at how important that fountain is 
to examine ourselves before Passover. Let's look what he says here immediately after he says, Therefore, verse 23, if you bring your gift to the altar, remember we, we have a spiritual priesthood, where we keep the feasts of God, we spiritually present gifts or offerings before God. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way first. Be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We couldn't be in danger of dying prematurely. We go and take the Passover. We have not made peace with someone we have offended. Remember, Passover is all about humility. And to ask for forgiveness is an act of humility, brethren. And if we don't forgive someone, we keep... First, if I offended, I have to go and reconcile to take the Passover in a worthy manner. And if I, being offended, I have to forgive, even if they don't ask me for forgiveness. Because otherwise, God will not forgive my sins. Remember, Christ said it clearly several times. In chapter 6, in the, at the end of the prayer, chapter 18, of the man who owed five, I mean, just a few denarius, and the man who owed a huge amount, 10,000 talents. That means an impossible debt to pay. That means our life and being offered eternal life. So if we don't ask for forgiveness to someone we know we have offended, and go and take the Passover that way, we take it in an unworthy manner. We are not washing our hands properly. And if we have been offended, and we don't forget from the heart, forgive and forget, not ruminate the offense, just let it go. We're still in sin when we take the Passover. We might die prematurely. And then he says the, the feet also had to be washed there. So, let's look to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, brethren, <clears throat> and we have quite a few exhortations. So that's how we, have clean, we should have clean hands when we present ourselves before the presence of God, when we go into that tabernacle in a close intimacy with God. We're not accepted there if we don't fulfill those things that here are the figure we have the spiritual fulfillment, which is much more profound than it was then. In the book of Proverbs, we find this admonition also. That means examining ourselves. Let's look at chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs, in verse 26. Book of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. It says here, and this is a way for us to examine ourselves. It says, Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. We know the narrow path of the Ten Commandments. Christ said to the young man, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. And then he said, 
in another occasion, the way that leads, leads to eternal life is a narrow path. And then in the book of, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, we know that the way of God is a way of life. And in Psalm 119, the first verse, frankly, declares that and is repeated over and over that the way we should walk is the law of God. First verse of chapter 119, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And then you can find the ways, verse 5, all that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. And it keeps on and on and on speaking of the way. And then in Psalm 119, too, we find many admonitions about us examining if we are walking in the law of God or not. We should take each one of the commandments and examine ourselves. Let's look, for example, in uh, chapter 119, where you are right now, in verse 59. Chapter 119 of the book of Proverbs, and, and then 59. I thought, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. The testimonies are the law of God. In verse, in then in chapter, chapter 119 also, verse 101. Let's read verse 101 and see how this is a reminder of our examining ourselves before Passover. 101 of the book of, book of Psalms, 119. It says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. So that's the reason, and I think there is one more somewhere here in verse 101. Anyway, let those, let those suffice. There are more than that. And we see that that fountain is important. That altar is important. It reminds us of our duties day, morning, and evening. And when we sin, we pray, or we pray to God the three main offerings, burn offering, sin offering, and peace offering, which Paul says we should be practicing. It's right there in the book of Hebrews. So let's go inside the tabernacle now we have washed our feet and our hands, and we can go deeper into the presence of our God. So here it is. We find what was commanded by God. That's the showbread. Here is the, the lamp, and there is the altar of incense. The altar of incense. The showbread. Let's look at this showbread for a moment and see how much God loves us. The showbread means the bread of the presence. And the instructions are that there should be 12 loaves of bread that should be renewed every week. Here we are fulfilling that. We come as the showbread, which there were 12 of them, meaning the 12 tribes of Israel. The ones that are now worship before God is the Israel of God. There is an Israel that, of course, is of God, but not in the same sense. But now we, we are part of that Israel of God that is in his presence continually. Christ spoke, I cannot go into all those scriptures, in chapter 15 of the book of John, Abide in me and I will abide in you. 
That means staying in my presence. When Elijah, who was one of the greatest men of God, he would say, the eternal lives in whose presence I stand. In whose presence I stand. He said it at least twice when he spoke to Ahab and pronounced by God pronounced through him that there would be no rain for three and a half years. And then he repeated after the drought when he came, he says, the Lord lives in whose presence I stand. And then Elisha repeated the same thing. The Lord in whose presence I stand. God wants us to be continually in his presence since we have our own temple to administer, my dear brethren. Remember, the presence of God dwells inside us. Christ said, if someone keeps my word, me and my Father will come and make a dwelling with him, inside him. God was with the people in the old covenant. In the new covenant, God is within the people in a powerful, intimate manner, which is very inspiring for us to know that there is something of God inside us. And when you get very convinced about that, then you have more respect for others because you know God is inside them too. It's not only in me. It helps us to fear God and treat our brethren with dignity and respect and love. So all those things are important to keep in mind. So I make it short about the showbread. It had to be renewed every week on the Sabbath. When David arrived at the place where Abiatar was, they have just taken that bread out of the presence of God, and they have put new. It was at the end of the Sabbath day. We can conclude when David went and asked him if he had something to eat. He made an exception. He applied mercy, and he gave him the bread that he had taken away from the presence of God that was lawful to eat only to the priest. But Christ made an example. There are certain occasions where mercy applies. And the Pharisees have forgotten that. And God has his eyes continually on us. He loves us. He wants us. He wants to have an intimate relationship. He wants us to stay in his presence. That means to respect his laws, to abide in him, like Christ explained in chapter 15. Then we will bear much fruit. And every week they were renewed. And here we are being renewed today by being taught from the word of God. And the incense that was beside each one was, of course, the prayers of the saints. Who, are, who is the Israel of God? Are the saints, those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So we can go to the altar there. And uh, the, the, the instruction God gives Aaron is, is just beautiful. Let's go here. Almost out of time here. Or let's out here. I have to, the book of Exodus, book of Exodus. Let's see how God speaks about the altar of incense. It's very inspiring. Well, I can resume to you, brethren. Remember, only the priests could offer incense. And it was a statute forever. How is that being kept today? God's a statute forever. 
that the incense should be burnt in the morning and in the evening. I have to find that scripture because it's very inspiring and describing what the function of Aaron was. And he, he has, I think it's on chapter 30. Yes. Chapter 30. Let's read that. Of the book of Exodus. Chapter 30. Very inspiring. It says, You shall make an altar to burn incense. Have you there? We already spoke about the showbread. There is the altar of incense right in front of the veil. The veil was still there in the Old Covenant. We know we have direct access to the throne of God who is behind that veil. In the Holy of Holies in New Jerusalem. In the throne room where we will gather for the marriage of the Lamb. So this is tremendous. And there is the ark in the Holy of Holies with the tablets inside. And I will go a little bit ahead of myself. There is a Holy of Holies in us, brethren. God said, the new covenant, I will write my laws in their hearts. I'll put them in their minds. And he also says, in chapter 8 and chapter 10, I will write them in their minds and I'll put them in their hearts. If our, if our body is a temple of the presence of God, and those laws are written by the Holy Spirit, by the finger of God inside us in a spiritual way, we have a Holy of Holies inside us. But we can have a profound, intimate relationship with our Father and Jesus Christ if we are walking in righteousness. It's just marvelous. But let's look at the altar of incense. Chapter 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on you, to incense on, excuse me, brethren. You shall make it of acacia wood. He gives all the description of the altar, which you can see there. I won't, I won't go into that. But look what he says in verse 7. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. What is the incense? Remember that Uzziah tried to offer an incense, physical incense. He became a leper. He died as a leper. But we have that privilege because we belong to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And keep your hands there and let's go to Revelation chapter 5. And we see how it is fulfilled today. It's a statute forever. It keeps on and on. We are still still being fulfilled, and will continue so. Chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. Here we have it. It says, verse 8. 5.8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell on, down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And Aaron had to keep it burning in the morning and in the evening. 
you find a schedule in the book of Psalms. What's God telling us? Keep the fire burning. Pray without ceasing. Let's not allow this world, this is a conspiracy, to take us from our priestly duties, to be completely, continually distracted. And here in chapter 8, it's confirmed. In chapter 8, it says, verse 3 of the book of Revelation, brethren. Revelation 8, 3. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Remember that Moses received a pattern of a heavenly altar. We have the pattern here. That altar is right in front of the veil and right in front of the ark. There is an altar up there right in front of the throne of God the Father where Jesus Christ also sits now at his right hand. And what happens in that altar right there in heaven? Then another angel having a golden censer, 8.3 of the book of Revelation, came and stood at the altar. This is the model that was given to Moses. And we have direct access to it. And he was given much incense that he would offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The statute forever. Let's go back to chapter 30 and says, chapter 30 of Exodus. Aaron shall burn on it, on that altar, sweet incense every morning. If the prayers of the saints are presented before God the Father, we should have the habit, brethren, of getting up early. So we can burn our incense before God and do our morning sacrifice and keep the fire burning. When he tends the lamps, you see, tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights, lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations, still being fulfilled by the saints today. We should not neglect it. We should examine ourselves. Are we fulfilling our priestly duties or not? And it, there is a beautiful statement by God about that intimacy that he had with Moses that I would like to read to you. I think it's in, that, in this same chapter 30. It's just very inspiring. I lost that one. It says, where I will meet with you. Oh, yes. Let's read Chapter 24, 25 of Exodus. 25, verse 21, because we're going to switch there soon. Exodus 25, verse 21. Let's read this scripture, which is very inspiring. It says, verse 21, 
you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. You know that represents the throne of God. I, didn't, I don't need to go into much detail for you. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give to you. The testimony are the Ten Commandments. They should be inside the ark, and on top of it will be the propitiatory, which was the mercy seat, which is the throne of God, and the foundation of his government are those Ten Commandments, are the platform of his government, which will be soon established upon this earth. And there I will meet with you. We have that same laws written inside our temple. And God says, I will meet with you there. So we have to, with zeal and asking God, so we keep his laws, so we can have this encounter inside our temple with God the Father and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. I will meet with you. And let's continue here. It's so much, brethren, to say, and I think you will make this an interesting study because there's much to be said. You know that that veil, then we already proved that we need to be praying in the morning and in the evening. Christ gave us an example. You read the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 36. He got up when it was still dark. He went to pray. And often in the evening, for example, when he multiplied the bread and they wanted to make him a king, he went alone to the mountain to pray in the dark. And then after he walked on the water, he prayed in the morning, he prayed in the evening. And those that he loves and called beloved, like Daniel and, and David, they did the same thing. We should do the same thing. Keep that fire burning, brethren. Then... There we have the Holy of Holies where the ark was, where only once a year the high priest could enter fasting. And God says to us, we have access to it at any time. Do we use that privilege, brethren? We should have to examine ourselves. And then I have not gone into the lamp before I get there. He says that he had to put oil in the lamp every day. Remember the foolish virgins? and the wise virgins. The lamp is the word of God. In Psalm 119, I'm about to finish, Psalm 119 and verse 105, brethren, you remember that scripture. Psalm 119, where is it? 119, and verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We have to offer incense every morning and we have to lead the lamps. What does that mean? You should make Bible study every day and keep that word meditating in it. It says very clearly here, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We should feed that lamp every single day with the word of God. So we could meditate in it day and night and not be a loudy saying who is letting that lamp go dim and keep it renewing every day. So God is speaking of incense, speaking of prayer, speaking of the lamp, keep it burning, 
it's Bible study, to make it very simple. And then having access to the Holy of Holies is not neglecting the tremendous privilege. And I will conclude with that one. There's much to be said to each one of them. I don't have time. But let's go now to chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. We can conclude uh, with these brethren. Chapter 10, verse 18, the Apostle Paul exhorts us here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 18, he says, Therefore, brethren, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, you know, I prefer this other version here. It says, He says, having freedom to enter the holiest place. Having freedom, liberty, which Christ gave to us free access. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, which is part of the daily offering upon the altar, represented by a hin of wine by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience that means having washed our feet and our hands in that fountain there and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us continue, brethren. Let's cease. Let's pray without cease. Let's keep the fire burning upon the altar. Let's keep the fire burning in our minds, studying the word of God day by day. Let's, let's, let's burn that incense in his presence. And let's thank God for the tremendous privilege of making us kings and priests according to Melchizedek.